0: Days on um, shrimp kebabs, shrimp creole, shrimp gumbo, pan fried, deep fried, stir-fried.
1: Welcome back to the Facts About PAX podcast. I'm Michaela Isler, NAPAC's Executive Director, and today I'm joined for an unplugged episode by David Schild and Adam Belmar.
0: I'm glad we're calling this one Unplugged, because I've had a cold all week, and I'm sure you can hear it. Uh, Adam, I can't hear it, um, and I say this in the
2: kindest possible way. You sound terrible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but hold on. Can we go back? Was this a Forrest Gump clip in the opening of the show today? Yes, it was.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Adam, okay, I'll bite. Why?
0: because it's one of my all-time favorite movie scenes. And I thought of it this week while I was reading Political Influence, the daily tip sheet on lobbying in DC. But anyway, there's a section in the newsletter about new PACs and they list out all the newly registered political action committees. And I read this every day. And I got to thinking, there are lots of PACs. There's um, shrimp kebabs, shrimp Creole, shrimp gumbo, pan fried. Deep
2: fry, stir fry.
1: (laughs) I see your point. I see your point.
2: Uh, And uh, Adam, uh, as hopped up on uh, DayQuil as you obviously are, I think you're making (laughs) another great point. You know, we are all in this industry familiar with uh, the sort of robust ecosystem around employee-funded political action committees, separate segregated funds that are run and managed so professionally so often by trade association and corporations. But, of course, there are all these other iterations of political action committees out there. And I think what that contributes to is a little bit of muddying of the waters, right? When it comes to the public understanding, certainly the media understanding, right? Of the money in the political system, what it is and is not doing. There's a lot of conflation of these terms. So it's good to sort of uh, go through these categories and talk about what is
0: and what isn't. Yeah, I mean, listen, Michaela, if you want to know the simple answer, you go to the website of the Federal Election Commission; it'll give you a fairly simple, straightforward answer. But if you talk mm-hmm. to a lawyer mm-hmm. or a practitioner, then you you start to get a better understanding. Like David's saying, there there are all these sort of different variations, and 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 understanding is important because if you're a member of one of our PACs and you're hearing about this in the press, you know, and people are saying, you're like, wait, am I? Is that what I'm a part? No, employee funded business trade association packs are the most transparent and moderating thing we have going in politics and they're incredibly important and they're differentiated. So sometimes maybe we got to dualistical, and we got to talk about what the differences are.
1: Yeah, I think it's so important to take a step back, David. I, I know you'll appreciate this, but I'm in the middle of, you know, creating an online version of the PACs in Congress class through GW and I'm really struggling because I find in the in-person class, being able to go through all of these different kinds of packs and, you know, it, explaining the differences and dispelling the myths and, and all of the misinformation out there, it's a lot easier, even in a environment like we're talking today. And, you know, I encourage my students to ask, you know, to be vulnerable and ask questions because yeah, you can read it on the FEC website, you can see stuff in the media, but these are pretty complex and, and oftentimes very confusing differentiations. And so even as our members, Adam and David, are trying to educate their employees and their members about just what kind of pack they are, they're getting lots of questions. Well, what, what, are we a super pack? Are we a hybrid pack? Like what what are we?
2: I. You know, this is so familiar to me because for years, whether I was talking to uh, literally the smartest rocket scientists in the world, right, or the most uh, impressive executives who manage those rocket scientists, there was just a uh, misunderstanding tied to the public discourse around money and politics – Versus the world that we see, which is what the, Af- the the Federal Election Commission has actually laid out, what the Supreme Court has actually laid out. And you're right, Michaela, when you're at GW and you're talking to these GSPM students and you say, by the way, super PAC is a made-up term. It doesn't appear anywhere right. in the 2010 Citizens United decision. And by the way, dark money is a made-up term, and the federal election doesn't use the term dark money. And it's not something that you would see in their regulations. And people are like, yeah, but these are terms in common usage. And it's like, well – that's the difference between the public perception of what we're talking about and what the law says, and what reality is. And look, congrats to the—I um, would call it the the reform community—that very much uh, stuck super PAC and dark money onto a lot of the funds that have emerged since 2010. Um, you know, those monikers um, do carry a certain tone to them, right? And I think that they are, uh, you know, biased towards a certain. Um, Uh, Position of restriction uh, and regulation and and control, but they're in the media, right? You're going to get a lot more Google results for dark money and super PAC than you are from independent expenditure only committee and 501 C4.
1: Yeah, I think just being able to differentiate the difference between a super PAC and, a, and an employee funded PAC, I mean, we have some great resources in our resource library to help, you know, again, just reading it from the FEC website is so confusing and oftentimes not very clarifying. And so being able to, to just even at a quick glance, be able to differentiate between the two is so important. Even when meeting with members on the Hill, I mean, there is a clear understanding that, that these super PACs are nothing like our PACs, but it's a real challenge because the public doesn't understand that difference and it, it's really driving a lot of the policy on the Hill.
0: And when, when you read an article or you hear somebody, even maybe at Thanksgiving talking about the super PAC and they can spend unlimited amounts of money on independent expenditures and federal races, And you try and reconcile that with what you might know about your employee funded PAC, you know, you're highly limited, there's uh, transparency and hard dollar support to candidates.
1: And that's the real key point, Adam is, and you can't have any coordination with the campaigns. And when we think about the most regulated form of giving outside of individual donations, The definition of a PAC is pulling those small-dollar resources for a common cause, which is what we do, Um, and that really is the biggest differentiator, because these super PACs cannot give directly to candidates for federal office.
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The line that I used to use when I was uh, raising money was that, um, you know, the only thing that George Clooney and I have in common is similar federal restrictions on the amount that we can give to candidates. (laughs) That's where the similarities begin and end, and the limits are relatively low, right? Because they're not uh, indexed that often and adjusted that often, and they're, they're still fairly low in Ever. terms of the, the cost of elections, right? Oh, certainly for our community, they don't they don't get touched, and the individual limits get adjusted, you know, tied to the CPI. But I think people have this perception, right, because this has been the narrative in the media space, that there's a small group of wealthy individuals who are just handing sacks of money to candidates for office. And it's not the case, right? The individual campaign committees are still very limited in terms of what they can collect. And so, yes, there is a new and different role for wealthy individuals in the in the political system, and it is through these independent expenditure-only committees. If I have millions of dollars and I decide that I want to spend millions of dollars on ads that say, I think... Newt Gingrich should be president of the United States. I'm free to do that. And as I used to remind my students all the time, I don't think Newt Gingrich is president of the United States or that there is any danger of that happening anytime soon, right? The Citizens United decision essentially liberated a lot of very passionate, wealthy people to uh, put their money into the system, but it did not make those people more politically astute. And I don't necessarily think that it translated into uh, political outcomes, Right. If you're running for the House and you're running for the Senate, the traditional ways of raising money from individual donors, from national party committees, from uh, corporate trade association and union PACs, those are all still out there. And then there is this other new thing that burns up a lot of digital ad space, that burns up a lot of advertising, but it's not at all like what we're doing where it's $5 per paycheck or it's somebody sitting at home running $100 personal check. The the scale and the amounts of money and, quite frankly, the concerns of the donors – are just very dissimilar.
0: You know, our programs that we're constantly bringing people into and trying to get educated about why we do and the candidates who are receiving support and the criteria that are met in order to support those candidacies are really important, but only as far as the understanding that we have that there's so much confusion out there. And David, you make it sound simple. Every time I hear you talk about this, it feels more simple. And then I go back to reading newsletters chock full of this that and the other thing and I'm like wait a second how does anybody ever keep it straight I feel like that's kind of our mission at Facts About packs that we're not just supporting all of the people who are practitioners and members of NatPak but trying to better understand that even when you have the best information you're still barraged endlessly with things that are going to make you turn your head and just look the other way and and, and question once again
2: Yeah, Adam, we have to remember that we're rowing against the tide. And here's what I would say, right? A little bit on my soapbox here. You can't pass the buck as a PAC director about people's level of political education. We say all the time on this show, nobody should be out in front of you talking about what the next election means. Nobody should be out in front of you talking about what a government shutdown means. That extends into basic political education. I don't see how you can go out and ask people for their hard earned dollars without first doing a little bit of basic education, right? What is the Federal Election Commission? What is our separate segregated fund, our employee-funded PAC? What does it do? We can't expect that anybody would know how these things work or what they would do. The general knowledge uh, amongst the public about the way money and politics work is very, very low. People have lives. People have jobs. People have to raise their kids. I completely understand why folks might not understand this kind of Byzantine system. But guess what? It's on us to explain it. Can you really expect people to make an informed decision if you don't educate them, if you don't inform them? It's on you as a political director to say, let me just walk you through these categories and show you two things. One, I understand how the system works, so you can trust me with your money. And two, we have this transparent and accountable role that has been carved out for us. So you can feel confident and good about your contribution to our fund, but also maybe you go home to that Thanksgiving table, maybe you go home to that holiday party, and when somebody starts saying, I saw that Acme Corporation gave $30 million to Congressman Jones, you go, eh, not really. And when I think about like the set of flashcards that you should be reviewing, uh, you know, as you sip the hot cocoa by the fire and uh, and listen to your holiday music, it should be the What if my CFO, what if my head of legal, what if my CEO called tomorrow and said, "Uh, we're a super PAC? Could you very quickly rattle off answers to the following questions? In three or four sentences, what is a super PAC? What is a hybrid PAC? What is a leadership PAC? What is a corporate or trade association separate segregated fund? What is a 501C4, right? You need to be ready for those questions. People are going to expect you to know, and you want to give people accurate information.
0: You've given me flashbacks, David, to some really great episodes we did in 2023 that you were the author and the executive producer on in trying to imagine these great conversations. And I want to thank you for that. And I'm going to put them in our show notes for everybody just as a quick link, because if you haven't heard these, they are quite wonderful.
2: Uh, Adam, the the nightmares that I have that that little flashing red light on my phone is the CEO... (laughs) And uh, he or she wants answers. I'm glad that my trauma can uh, in, in build some great content. For the Willing Pack to team. go
0: the extra mile for you, the Facts About Pax listener. Absolutely. Deep into the nightmares of David Schill. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, as always, good talk, guys. Thanks for kicking all that around. And Adam, feel better.
0: Well, thank you, guys.
1: And subscribe and meet us right back here on the Facts About Pax.